Well, good morning, folks. I think I'll get started here as it's 9.34, so I'll probably get, a, get this rolling and try to stay on time here. Um, so this morning, this is, the, this is the core seminar on discipling. So there's been a bit of a, a break. We had our annual conference last uh, weekend, and last Sunday, uh, David Mathis was here. So we're sort of jumping back into discipling class, class number seven. And class number seven this morning is encouraging biblical prayer. En- encouraging biblical prayer. And on that note, let me open in prayer and we can get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, yet another Lord's Day. Father, these days are such a gift from your side. And uh, we're just thankful that we can meet uh, even weekly as brothers and sisters in Christ even as this local expression of the family of God. And Father, even as we consider this topic of prayer, just pray that you would attend us now by your spirit. Father, make us a prayerful people, even uh, individually and as a church, even in our discipleship relationships. Just pray that you would make us a prayerful people and uh, that you'd even give us the joy of seeing answered prayer and even the joy of being changed as we learn to pray. So come attend us now by your spirit. Open our eyes to behold Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So as I said, this morning is uh, on class seven, encouraging biblical prayer. So notice that adjective, biblical. Encouraging biblical prayer. So today we're going to be talking about, there's going to be four main points. I don't think there's an outline um, today, but there's going to be four points. I'm just going to touch on the importance of prayer. Second, helping others to pray regularly and faithfully. Third, encouraging others to pray effectively and according to God's will. And fourth, helping others to understand how God responds to prayer. So again, since this is a class on discipleship, the focus is really on praying together as in, in our discipleship relationships. So I'm not going to be really zeroing in on personal prayer or even corporate prayer necessarily, but rather praying together as brothers and sisters in Christ, even in our discipleship relationships. So just by way of review in this class, the ultimate goal of discipling that we've looked at is to encourage our friends, our brother, sister in Christ, to greater fellowship with God and a greater personal holiness that glorifies God. So we need to teach others to know, love, and obey God. This is part of what discipleship is. And this will not be achieved without prayer. So just think about this passage from 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. The Apostle Paul says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now that might sound a little bit different than you're used to, that's the NASB, but the focus there is on the fact that God is the one who gives the growth. So what's implied in this passage then, when considering discipleship, is that without prayer, 
without prayer, your discipleship efforts will likely fail. Because, of course, as we can see from this passage, it is God who gives the growth. And we are the ones who, who plant uh, and water, as it were. So arguably the most important thing you can do for your friend then when considering discipling others is pray for them. If there's one thing you're going to remember this morning, because I'm going to say um, a fair bit, um, that, that would be the thing to remember. In your discipleship efforts, prayer is arguably the most important thing when wanting to see someone grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and even in helping, them, helping to disciple them. John 17, 3, Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So just as we get to know one another by talking, right, by communicating, this is how we get to know God. So if you recall from last weekend at the conference, something that David Mathis sort of pointed out, and it's, you can see it in his um, book, Habits of Grace, he sort of identifies the three main sort of categories of the means of grace in the scriptures. And that was fellowship, uh, or sorry, that was the word, fellowship, uh, sorry, the word, prayer, and fellowship. That's the order he gave it in. I'm a little bit tired this morning. The word, prayer, and fellowship. So prayer then, and, and if you'll recall, he, he, he really emphasized the point, we hear from God through his word, we speak to God through prayer, and then we fellowship, we gather together as brothers and sisters as the family of God, right? So the three means of grace. So prayer, then, is fundamental to the Christian faith. So again, we need to encourage, then, our friends to pray regularly, even those that we are seeking to have an influence on in discipleship relationships. We can take our Lord as the ultimate example of how to pray. Matthew uh, 14, 23 and Mark 1, 35. Jesus, we see Jesus going off to a solitary place to pray. Even the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. He had to commune with his Father. All of John 17, the high priestly prayer passage, is Jesus' prayer to God before he was betrayed and arrested. Jesus repeatedly instructed his, his disciples to pray. So you recall in Matthew 6, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. And he instructed them with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the persistent widow in Luke 18, 1-8, demonstrates the importance of persistent prayer to a just God. Uh, verse 8 in that passage, we're not going to go there because we're just going to keep on rolling, but verse 8 um, it demonstrates that persistent prayer shows your faith because prayer is an act of faith. So part of prayer, then, in other words, is persisting, persevering in your prayers. Throughout the New Testament epistles, we are encouraged to pray. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6, Colossians 4, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we are urged to pray and present our request to God and to be devoted to prayer and to pray continually. So sort of as a lifestyle, right? That's sort of what is highlighted there. So without prayer, growth is stunted 
Faith is weak, and sanctification is impeded. And I would just remind us again of the conference that we were able to enjoy last week from David Mathis, um, the means of grace, the word, prayer, fellowship. Um, so I'm going to move into, in, into the next point here, a prayer in discipling then. So we're recognizing that the prayer is important. That was the first point. How then do we encourage it in discipling? How do we encourage prayer in discipling? Well, first, we can encourage prayer through modeling. So you see this in Luke 11. One of the most natural and effective ways is simply by modeling. And this is the way we very often learn, isn't it? Um, Just by seeing other people do it, hearing other people pray to God. That's the way we often learn. So if you actually spend time praying, your friend will hear how you pray. So just consider even um, hearing Pastor Clint's pastoral prayer each Sunday or whoever's preaching, right? Um, Coming to the prayer meeting, our, our monthly prayer meeting, and hearing one another pray, it's encouraging, right? It builds us up in the faith, but we're also, we're also having prayer modeled to us as we hear other saints pray. When we pray, when we get together in each other's homes, after the service, all of this models how to pray. Um, so this leads to the next point then. Encourage, so, so that's the first point. Encourage prayer through modeling. Second, encourage prayer through instruction. Luke 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So part of, um, part of learning how to pray then, and even instructing others, discipling others, is actually instructing them, teaching them how to pray. So just a few points to consider here. Um, we are to share prayer requests and pray together. It's... I mean, I, I know this might just sound so obvious and simple, but sometimes we just forget, I think. It's just such a, a beautifully simple thing. Ch- share prayer requests and pray together. Uh, model good prayer by following up with your friend midweek. So try to stay in touch um, and ask how it's going. Text prayer requests. Uh, go a little bit further, you could challenge your friend to set aside time to pray each day. And even just considering major decisions, encourage him or her to pray throughout them. Again, maybe this just sounds totally obvious, but these are, these are um, means of grace which we want to be developing. And very often we can just, I think, just sort of forget about in the business of life. Uh, you could use So that's encourage prayer through instruction. Another way to encourage prayer is use a a good book that teaches on prayer. Use a good book that teaches on prayer. So I'm going to mention a resource here by Don Carson, D.A. Carson, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. That would be a very good book. If you wanted to go through a book on prayer with your brother or sister, you're getting together, that'd be an excellent resource to tap into. And part of this class uh, this morning is actually based on stuff from that book. 
Um, so if you're taking notes and I haven't confused you already, that was the main first big point, prayer in discipling. Second, helping others to pray regularly and faithfully. So how do we do this? What's the nuts and bolts? Well, first of all, we need to plan to pray. You need to plan to pray. It's been said, he who fails to plan, plans to fail. That's the way we sort of exist as, as creatures, as human beings. So you actually need to, to, to set aside time during the day to pray and encourage your friend to do likewise. And again, periodically ask them how that is going. So plan to pray. Um, another point just ways to avoid mental drift. I would say in our day, I mean, just thinking about the age that we live in, how long has the smartphone been around for? Does anyone remember? What was it, 2010? 2009? 15 years. So we're living in a world now where we are just constantly distracted by our phones. We're inundated by, um, just bombarded by information, you have endless information, um, blogs, videos, whatever it is, at the tips of your fingers. To avoid mental drift, you need to set your phone aside. I would even suggest, I mean, well, yeah, the smartphone, I mean, there's an app for like everything these days too, right? So, so don't get me wrong, I mean, you, you're using an app, go ahead and use that. But I think by and large, it's going to be a good uh, discipline just to set the, s the phone aside when you're trying to pray and to establish these, these habits. Um, you might want to try speaking aloud the words or journaling. So journaling has a way of actually, um, it's the discipline of actually thinking through what you want to say to the Lord, Right? Uh, pray through others' written prayers. I noticed at the conference there, in the bookstore, there, there's the Valley of Vision, which is an excellent book. I think some people picked that up. Um, excellent book of Puritan prayers. So you can pray through others, other people's prayers. Pray through scripture. This is one of the things that we consistently teach here. We try to model at the prayer meeting. When you're praying through scripture, and this is something we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about a little bit later, you're actually, you are praying according to God's will. And this is one of the things that we want to be growing in, learning to pray according to God's will. Another thing to, to try out, perhaps, pray through the Gospel Partner Directory. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't see Michael or Jared here, I think a new um, directory is in the works, because we're sort of due for one. Um, you could ask Michael about it. I hope I'm not putting pressure on him, but I, th I thought I heard him talking about that. So ways, that's ways to avoid mental drift. Another point, pray with another Christian. Again, just sounds obvious, but, but I'm guessing even, even here this morning, maybe some of you folks have never actually just prayed with somebody else. Maybe you're a newer believer. Um, so we want to be able to take other people newer believers under our wing, as it were, and just teach them to pray. Uh, keep track of prayers and answers. This point was a little bit convicting for me this week. Just think about how often we do, very often we can share prayer requests, 
but then you just sort of forget about it, right? So it can be a good discipline to actually write down your prayer requests. Use a notebook, use a spreadsheet. Um, remind yourself of what you've prayed about, and then when the Lord does answer those prayers, you have reason to thank him, to remember his grace towards you in that way. Uh, another point, pray until you pray. So that is, pray until you actually start praying. Again, we're, we're, we're so distracted, all of us, that sometimes it just takes a few minutes just to sort of wind your mind down and really think about, okay, I'm communing with the living God. And then you start to really pray. So it's just a quick sampling of some, some topics about prayer. Um, so these are topics that we can talk about then in our, in our discipleship relationships. Decide that you're going to show love for your friend by specifically asking about their times in prayer and discussing ways that you can both grow in prayer. Um, let me just at this point uh, uh, ask if there's any questions before I move on. Maybe one or two questions. Rini? Uh, the Valley of Vision. The Valley of Vision. Yeah, I noticed it. I, I think I saw it in the, in the uh, bookstore there next door last weekend. Any other thoughts, questions before we move on? I'll give time for questions at the end. So that was the second main point, helping others to pray regularly and faithfully. Third, overcoming excuses for prayerlessness. So what do you do if the person you're trying to disciple um, is not spending much time in prayer and has many, many reasons or excuses for not praying? Well, here's just some things to consider. These are, these are some excuses that, that we will often make. Um, I'm too busy to pray. I'm too, too busy to pray. So this sort of begs the question, is daily work then more important than prayer? Or whatever it is that, that is making you feel busier, too busy to pray. Well, you, you folks will remember uh, Luke 10, 38 to 42. That's the classic passage with Martha and Mary. I still actually remember the Shannon Hurley um, sermon. Some of you guys maybe remember that from a few years ago when he just pounded into our minds, one thing is necessary. That's the main statement that Jesus makes to Martha. And Mary has chosen the better portion. One thing is necessary. So this is, uh, it is the most important thing. David Mathis pointed that out last weekend. Um, he just shared how in the morning his soul is hungry and he needs spiritual food more than he needs physical food. And we are the same. Our, our souls will start to shrivel up and dry if we're not being fed, if we're not communing with the living God. So one thing is necessary. Um, how, do we, how do we deal with this excuse that I'm too busy to pray? Well, would it help to start your day with prayer? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, do you need to drop something to make more room in your schedule? I heard a story of an older fellow 
recently who used to sit down and sort of religiously each morning over breakfast read the newspaper. He was a believer and he never really read his Bible or prayed. And when being challenged to do so, he actually ditched the newspaper and, and actually took the time to develop that discipline of Bible reading and prayer. It's not to say that reading a newspaper is wrong or sinful, obviously, but it is to just prioritize prayer. Um, what can you do to make it more integrated into your entire day? So again, this is in response to the excuse, I'm too busy to pray. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, Paul tells us to pray continually. So does that mean that, you, that we're just supposed to go, you know, um, swear a monastic oath and just go be monks somewhere and just pray? Well, no, that's not, that's not what Paul is getting at there. It's a lifestyle of prayer, right? Even as you're working, even as you're driving, whatever it may be, right? You're bringing your prayers, petitions, requests, praises to God. Um, one thing that I try to do sometimes is I notice when I jump into the vehicle, very often I'll just want to listen to a podcast or something like that. And my mind will just be going, going, going. And, you, you know, you just sort of plug and play. Sometimes I just drive in quiet. And, and my mind just needs that. And then you can even start to pray as you're driving. I'm sure some of you folks do that as well. So that's, those are things to consider. When you, when you say, I'm too busy to pray, at the end of the day, you just need to prioritize it. See the importance of it. Uh, another excuse, I'm too spiritually dry to pray. Um, when you're spiritually dry, probably the last thing you're thinking about is reading the Bible or praying. Um, this is a time when you need to consider living obediently, even when you don't feel like praying. So at that point, what you're doing is you're letting your actions um, lead your heart rather than your emotions. I mean, we live in an age that is so emotionally driven, right? If I don't feel like it, oh, I guess I'm just not going to. Well, as Christians, as we mature, we want to, sometimes you just need to recognize, okay, I don't even feel like doing this, but I, I need to. I know I need to. Um... So I'm too spiritually dry to pray. Uh, one passage I, I thought I read in this class maybe a month or so ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, was the, the classic passage from Ezekiel 37, 1 to 10, the Valley of Dry Bones. If you're sp feeling spiritually dry, come before the Lord and ask him to breathe new life into your dry bones. And he will do it. Uh, another excuse, I feel no need to pray. Sometimes at the root of our prayerlessness is actually, believe it or not, pride and arrogance where we can convince ourselves that we don't need to pray. We're fine on our own. We, we feel pretty self-sufficient. And this leads to prayerlessness. The Puritan Richard Sibbs talks of two sins more dangerous than all the others. And that is spiritual pride and security. Spiritual pride and security. He talks about that in his classic book, The Bruised Reed. Um, so that's, a, a, that's a sobering thing to think about. Spiritual pride and security. Because pride will keep you from relying on the Lord. And it is deadly. 
So we need to learn to confront our pride and grow in our sense of dependence on God. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, Psalm 127, 1 to 3, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, and so on. Um, So that's the excuse, I feel no need to pray. Pride needs to be confronted there. Uh, I'm too bitter to pray. I'm too bitter to pray. Bitterness, grudges, holding on to, uh, and just sort of stewing over wrongs that we have received at the hands of others, this will create obstacles to your prayer life if you're holding on to bitterness. In Matthew 6.14, we see that this fact, that the lack of forgiveness towards others will hinder our prayers. Uh, many of you are familiar with the, the, the parable uh, in Matthew 18 of the servant who was forgiven a massive debt, right? I think it was 10,000 talents, which is basically you're never going to pay that off literally in a million years, right? And that is how much you have been forgiven in God. And then he goes and starts choking his servant under him because the servant owed, owed him 100 hundred talents, or, or sorry, a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days um, for a laborer's wage. So it is a significant thing, but in comparison to his debt, uh, it was nothing. So what this does then, what this parable does, is it demonstrates that by forgiving others, we demonstrate that we understand how much we have been forgiven in Christ. So if you're struggling even this morning with bitterness in your heart towards someone, it's hindering your prayer life, you need to meditate upon the gospel. Meditate on, if you're in Christ, just think about how much you've been forgiven in Christ by your Heavenly Father. And that will empower you then to be able to forgive others their sins against you. So that's, I'm too bitter to pray. What about I'm too ashamed to pray? Shame leads us to hide from God. I mean, just consider Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They go start trying to sew some leaves together. Part of it is sort of supposed to be comical in that passage, believe it or not, but it also is just the tragedy of, um, it's the reality of being fallen sinners in this fallen world. It's actually an act of self-delusion to try to hide from God because, of course, God knows all and he sees all. So then, so then sort of hiding in your shame, um, you don't want to do that. You want to remember that God knows all and sees all, but that he is a merciful and gracious God. He actually loves it when sinners come to him and when his children come to him. Remember, you, we come to God as, as our heavenly father. So that's the response to, I'm, I'm, I'm too ashamed to pray. I know this is sort of, sort of rapid fire, but just sort of dealing with um, some common, common things. Next one, God doesn't seem to answer my prayers. So God doesn't always answer our prayers with a yes. And we're going to get into this a little bit later, but for now, sometimes we can pray with wrong motives, and God is actually showing us kindness not to answer our prayers because he knows what is best for us as our Heavenly Father. Uh, Very often, actually, we don't know what is best for us. 
But God does. Part of maturing as a believer is learning to pray according to God's will. So we need to know and remember that God will be faithful in response to our prayers. In his timing, according to his will, um, he will answer as he sees fit. So we need to remember at this point then that God is in charge. God's in charge. He knows best. Um, just trying to find the third point there. So that was overcoming excuses for prayerlessness. Main point number four, encouraging others to pray effectively. This is, a, this is an interesting point. It's an important point. Remember the title of this talk was um, praying biblically, right? Praying biblically. There is a type of prayer that is actually not biblical. Part of praying biblically is praying effectively. So a tendency for young believers then is to pray according to their own will and according to their own desires. There's many verses that get thrown around that are um, taken out of context in our day, often by the health, wealth, prosperity, false teachers. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, 7 to 11, ask, seek, knock. Matthew 21, 21 to 22, if you believe you can move mountains. James 1, 5 to 8, God grants wisdom to those who ask. All of these, all of these uh, truths and promises can be taken uh, very much out of context and abused. Um, so in this case then, we need to remember that um, God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not a genie in the bottle. That's one of the main issues behind the health, wealth stuff. It fits the flesh like a glove. Oh, God's going to bless me with whatever my flesh wants? Sign me up. Right? But that, that is not mature Christian prayer. Um, D.A. Carson, in that book I mentioned, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he, he says this, quote, Effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquired blessings. Another way to consider is it's not a way that you're trying to manipulate God to get what your flesh wants. It's actually the fruit of a relationship with God. So to teach people to pray effectively then, we must teach uh, our brothers and sisters, teach ourselves, learn ourselves to pray according to God's will. To pray according to God's will. We want to teach one another how to pray with right motivations and to come rightly before God. First John uh, 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence which we, we, which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So our requests must be aligned with God's will, meaning his priorities in both the specifics and the general focus of our prayers. So how do we follow God's will then in our prayers? How do we know if what we're asking for is in line with God's will? Well, the answer is actually beautifully simple. It's scripture. It's the Bible. So we need to study it. We need to grasp it. We, need to, we want to be mastering, learning how to master the scriptures as we're able 
the most assured way of praying in, li- in line with God's will is to pray through the scriptures. So after you read a passage that challenges you in a certain way, there are several ways in which you can respond to that passage. The simplest way is just ask God to bend your will to his in that instance, according to his word. So what, what, one of the things that, that this is sort of, we're sort of getting at now then that's implied in all of this is God is actually changing us. He's, he's bending our wills to his through prayer. By and large, he's teaching us his character, his faithfulness, changing us to make us more like Christ. Um, I'm just going to go to a passage here real quick because it's been on my mind. Let's flip to Romans 5. I was just thinking about this this morning as I was looking over this lesson once more. I was in Grace Cochran, uh, at Grace Cochran last week preaching from Romans 5, 1 to 5. And I was just really challenged by this passage, so I just want to share a little bit, just to give an example of learning to pray according to God's will. Um, Romans 5, so it's speaking of uh, having peace with God, having been justified by faith with God. I'm going to jump in on verse 3, Romans 5, verse 3. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so just by, by way of example, praying according to God's will. By and large, when we suffer, our prayers are going to be, God, please remove this suffering. Now, don't hear me wrong. That isn't a wrong or sinful prayer. I think it's completely natural. But how, how, how could that sort of almost default response to suffering be changed by this passage? I would suggest that we want to learn how to pray that God, if he won't remove the suffering, he will use the suffering to be growing an indestructible hope in us. That's what we see in this passage here. And this is the amazing thing that God does, with how he uses suffering in the lives of his people. When suffering leads to despair, when you're outside of Christ, suffering actually leads to hope, true hope, indestructible hope in the lives of his people. It's an incredible thing. So that's just an example that I thought of uh, this morning. It's a way that the Bible challenges our thinking and challenges us to pray according to God's will. Again, in our suffering, it is, I think it's completely appropriate to ask the Lord that he would remove it, right? You look at 2 Corinthians 12, Paul asked for the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh, but the Lord said he wasn't going to. So the, the, uh, Paul responded with, um, therefore I'll boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He recognized the sufficiency of God's grace um, in the midst of his suffering. So we want to pay particular attention then to how the scriptures are challenging our thinking. We want our minds to be transformed and then to affect our prayer lives. Um, the simplest way to do this, like I said earlier, is by simply just praying the prayers that we find in Scripture. And again, this is something that we model at our prayer meeting each month, uh, which, by the way, is this Wednesday. So 
uh, plug it in your calendar and make sure you're there. So this is how we learn then to pray according to God's will. We can just simply pray Scripture's prayers. It's praying God's prayers, which he has given to us, praying them back to him. Um, again, just a plug for the D.A. Carson book, I call it The Spiritual Reformation. Uh, what this book does is it actually takes Paul's prayers in Scripture and highlights the priorities that we ought to have in prayer. So he's done sort of the hard work for us of mining the scriptures, particularly Paul and Paul's prayers. So that's point four, encouraging others to pray effectively. Last point, understanding how God responds to prayer. So many of you have heard this before. There's, there's three responses that we could expect. Wait, yes, or no, right? Wait, yes, or no. So sometimes God has us waiting. And it's in these cases that the call is to persevere. We want to be growing persistent in our prayers. As disciples, we want to encourage our friends to persevere in prayer. I mentioned earlier the, the parable of the persistent widow, Luke 18, right? Um, and even the, the parable there, pursuing the unjust judge, Right? So there's a persistence there. So we want to continue to support our friends, our brothers and sisters in prayer, and encourage them to continue to pray about it, even when it seems that the Lord has him or her waiting, or even as a church, we're waiting. What this does is it grows a dependency upon God. So sometimes the answer is, is wait. Sometimes the answer is Yes. So as a, as a, in, our in our discipleship relationships at that point, we want to rejoice with one another as the Lord answers prayer. We want to remember how the Lord has done that. We even want to burn it into our minds so that we can remember later how the Lord has answered prayer. What happens, though, if the answer is no? Even if it seems to be in accordance with God's will, the answer over time seems to be a very clear no. Well, we want to remind one another at that point that God is good and trustworthy. Sometimes we don't know all of his ways, his plans. Romans, thir sorry, Romans 11, 33 to 36 speaks to that. So you might have experienced this. You pray for God to heal the sick, right? To maybe heal a loved one and and he or she dies, and you don't know why. Maybe you're praying for a change of circumstances, change of job, changes in people that we know, other changes in the world around us, and those changes don't seem to happen. Well, no matter what, we want to be praying that we would trust God through those times even when the answer is no. Um, so I'm going to sort of wrap things up now. I'm going to quote, to that point that I just made, I'm going to quote at length um, someone from a book called The God Who Hears. So this is W. Bingham Hunter, The God Who Hears. And he says this in learning how to um, persevere in prayer and even submit to God's will 
in our prayers, even when the answer is no. So he says, quote, No matter how large a spiritual giant you may become, there will be days when God's answer to your prayers will be no. Despite your seeking, searching, and the outpouring of your soul, your Heavenly Father has decided against your petition. When this happens, your attitude becomes the vital factor. Are you, are you willing to give your hurt, disappointment, perhaps even grief to Christ who died for you and then begin to pray again? Prayer problems are usually not intellectual but volitional. In praying effectively, the submission of your will is directly linked with finding God's will. Prayer which God answers is offered with an attitude of submission. Are you willing to say when God's response to your urgent prayer is not the one you wanted, have thine own way, Lord, end quote. So I think that's just a very godly response even to um, getting no from the Lord in our prayers. Again, our, our wills are being bended to God's, to, to our Heavenly Father's, who knows what is best for us, who loves us and cares for us. Um, so just to conclude really quick, prayer is an important part of the Christian life. For ourselves and others, we need to look within to see what sins have led to prayerlessness, if that's the case, to repent of that and to look to the scriptures to learn and grow in praying biblically and effectively. Second, encouraging a life of biblical prayer may be one of the best gifts we can give to a Christian friend that we love. Um, again, I'm just going to give the plug for the prayer meeting this Wednesday. And I would just say just how encouraging it's been to attend the prayer meetings. I mean, I remember the prayer meetings probably seven, eight years ago where there's just a handful of folks. And now, I mean, the, the fellowship hall is al almost packed. It's incredibly encouraging. And I would just encourage um, any folks who don't come to try to make it happen. Uh, I was going to give time for questions. I should probably end, but if anyone has questions, please feel free to come up and talk. Let's, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an what a incredible gift it is that we have your ear, the all-powerful, uh, all-seeing, even all-hearing creator of the universe. And not only that, but our Heavenly Father, our good and kind Heavenly Father, Father, we praise you that we are secure in Christ. We praise you that we have your spirit uh, who teaches us to pray even as we see your will in the scriptures. Just pray for each one here, Father, that you would grow us in our prayer lives individually, as a church, even in our discipleship relationships. Help us to recognize um, the incredible gift and privilege it is to come before you with our prayers, petitions, requests, and praises. And Father, even now, we just pray that you would uh, prepare our hearts and our minds to worship you uh, during the main service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.